Welcome to the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast. This is episode number 217. Yikes. Okay. I'm Ross. I'm Gordon. At the most recent camera club uh, meeting, uh, you went through a number of items uh, that a member had been told at a paid workshop that you called misinformation. The one that sort of caught my attention was, and we should maybe delve into, is the relationship between depth of field focus and what you talked about as a loss of sharpness at the smallest apertures. I think that's fair. So let's start with a simple definition of depth of field. In your own words, please. Well, it is kind of early in the morning, but here goes. Whenever we focus on a subject, there will be some distance in front of the focus point and some distance behind the focus point that will also be in focus. This area of focus is referred to as the depth of field. Excellent. There are three elements that impact depth of field. In your own words, witness, <laughs> what is the first and most well-known element that affects depth of field? Well, I would think that most of us think of aperture as having a significant impact on the depth of field. Where the larger the aperture, also known as the lower the F number, the less the depth of field. And the smaller the aperture, also known as the higher the F number, the more depth of field that will be provided. Excellent description. So what is the second element that impacts depth of field that most folks are aware of? The shorter the actual focal length in relation to the sensor size, the more depth of field will be. And the longer the actual uh, focal length in relation to the sensor size, the less depth of field there will be at any given aperture. Now, I was thinking about this after the camera club meeting and realized that I, in my thoughts of depth of field, was not factoring in the sensor size, as you have indicated. So I think it should be understood that there is some confusion between focal length, sensor size, and angle of view. And perhaps that's all beyond the scope of this podcast, but it should be recognized that the sensor size does play a role in the depth of field provided under those conditions. I think it's actually a very valid point. We'll just take a couple of minutes here to go through it. As you say, the smaller the sensor surface area, we call it sensor size, the greater the depth of field you will get at any equivalent angle of view. Now, we understand, because we talk about it all the time, that a, let's use an example, a 50-millimeter lens on a full frame 
does not provide the same angle of view as a 15 millimeter lens on a micro four thirds. You have different angles of view dependent upon the sensor that the lens is right. speaking to, right. right? So it is important to consider sensor size, both in terms of getting more depth of field and also getting less depth of field. So, for example, if I had a full-frame equivalent lens at a given angle of view that provided an aperture of f1.4, and I had the same angle of view on a lens for micro four-thirds, also with a maximum aperture of f1.4, there will be more depth of field on the smaller sensor, mm-hmm. okay. even though the aperture and the angle of view are the same. And that's why folks who use, you know, smartphone cameras, they don't actually focus. They've just got massive depth of field because the sensor is so tiny. Right. So I thought that's a good, that was a very good minor digression from the conversation. But I've interrupted the thought flow. So what is the third element that influences depth of field? Right. The third factor is the the distance between the sensor and the subject. So the closer the subject is at any given aperture and the focal length, there will be less depth of field. And the further away the subject is, there will be more depth of field. That's completely accurate. So let's drop into a couple of examples to put some real data behind the science of this. Okay. Well, let's try this one. Uh, I like to use my macro lens to photograph flowers and stuff like that. In this scenario, I have a focal length of 90 millimeters on a micro four-third sensor. And I might be six inches away from the flower itself, or the flower pistol more accurately. Uh, And that is my primary subject. However, I do want to get as much of the flower in focus in a single shot before having to move on to focus stacking. That's a pretty reasonable desire and hoped for outcome, if you will. So to help with this, I'm going to use PhotoPills, an app we've talked about at great length and that I believe every photographer should purchase. And let's use it to determine your total depth of field, including how far in front and how far behind your focus point the focus area extends, and that's going to add up to the total depth of field. So you said, I'm focused on the pistol. Right. But there's, you would like more of the flower than just the pistol in focus, right? Right. So uh, I think you... Sort of mentioned that uh, you'll, you'll know how far in front and how far behind the focus area. And when you add those numbers together, this is supposed to add up to a total depth of field. But this seems to always give me issues because when I do it, the numbers don't actually add up to the, what I think they should be. Well, you're correct in terms of the representation of the numbers in any depth of field calculator app, and that's the fault of rounding that occurs in the application. So round up and round down. However, we do the math, we will find that at the minimum aperture, 
that by physics delivers optimum depth of field, which in the case of your lens is f22, the depth of field is slightly more than 132nd of an inch, but less than 116th of an inch. So maybe somewhere in the 364th of an inch range. Hmm. Less than, therefore less than 132nd of an inch in focus in front of your focus point and less than 132nd of an inch behind the focus point. So in practical terms, there's no depth of field? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, a breath will move you that much. And if there is any movement of the subject or the camera, the image will be out of focus. It's a very tough situation. So let's move back a foot. When we do that, same lens, same focus subject, the depth of field total is 730 seconds of an inch with 330 seconds of an inch in front of the focus point and an eighth of an inch behind the focus point, an eighth being 430 seconds of an inch. So a tiny bit less in front than there is behind. It's still very, very minimal depth of field, but substantially more than double the depth of field that you had, closer to four times the depth of field with a doubling of the distance. So why isn't that multiplier consistent? Well, in this case, if we go, let, let's say, to two feet, in that case, the depth of field in front of the focal point is half an inch and 17.30 seconds behind for a total of one and one sixteenth sixteenth inches. Again, a bit more than four times the depth of field increase for a doubling of distance. But your question is, why isn't the multiplier consistent? I presume you mean that doubling effect. Mm -hmm. And that's because lens focal lengths are determined at a point of infinity focus. As the distance between the subject and the sensor decreases, so does the effective focal length of the lens also decrease. It's a subtle thing and more evident in zoom lenses, but it's a fact of optics that for the most part goes unnoticed and is typically irrelevant in the greater scheme of things. So to make it really simple, if I have a lens that measures out to 100 millimeters at infinity focus, it's going to be less than 100 millimeters at its closest focus point. Mm. Okay. All right, folks. So if all those numbers are making your head spin, and certainly mine is at this point in time. Oh, this is true. He's doing a full Linda Blair. <laughs> Grab a measure of some variety and give yourself a visual of the actual distance represented by those numbers. I am consistently amazed that anything I photograph close up is in focus at all. So I understand why marketing makes you so insane. So Another scenario that I like is the landscape shot where everything is in focus from the furthest point to the closest thing. So I want maximum depth of field and I use a wide angle lens 
like say fourteen millimeter on my camera. Where do we where do we go then? Okay, well let's use uh, the twelve to forty five focal length zoom as an example. This has a minimum aperture of f twenty two, and let's say that your focus point is uh, arbitrarily twelve feet into the scene. The distance is just beyond what is called the hyperfocal near limit. And we talked about this when we talked about setting up for street photography. Mm -hmm. yep. And what this means to you is that if you focus that lens at f22 and a 14 millimeter selection on your camera with your sensor, everything from a distance of one foot, 19, 30 seconds, inches in front of the sensor at the closest point to infinity at the far point will be in focus. That means that the depth and field in front of the focus point, which was 12 feet, extends 10 feet and 13 30 second inches and extends into infinity behind the focus point. Therefore, everything from one foot and for the sake of argument, half an inch, uh, to infinity is in focus. So really, uh, if, that, if that's the case, with that lens for landscape photography, I could lock the focus set in at 12 feet and never have to worry about focusing again so long as I left the aperture at f22. Absolutely correct. So now let's take it a step further and go into the realm of the telephoto, where in this scenario, you choose to have minimal depth of field. So you're going to shoot with a large aperture. Let's say f2.8 on the 40 to 150 mil lens that fits your camera, and you've chosen, based on your compositional decisions, a focal length on a lens of about 100 millimeters with your subject about 10 feet away. Your focus point is on the nearest eye, which is typically what we'll do in a standard portrait. Your total depth of field with these settings will be three and one thirty-second inches with one and a half inches in front of the focus point and one and 17 30 seconds behind the focus point. Really nice, shallow depth of field, ideal for a portrait. What that means is that the back of the ear is starting to get soft and anything in front of the tip of the nose is going to get soft. And in a portrait scenario, that's exactly what you want. Okay, so that makes sense. So when you talk about depth of field, does the sharpness fall off or is it focused like a flat wall, for instance, or is it dropping off front and back? <laughs> So, good question. It, the depth of field focus sharpness falls off based on something called the circle of confusion. And there are some things in photography that are perfectly named because this is really confusing to folks. And we won't even attempt to get into that here. But what it means is as you move to the limits of depth of field, the focus isn't tack sharp right at the edge of your depth of field compared to where it was. What we define as depth of field is also 
based on a subjective determination that says acceptable sharpness. Mm-hmm. And nobody tells you what that means. That's right. That, that's uh, user-dependent. Right. Okay. So then in general, I will get a sharp image so long as I get the focus right in the middle and choose an aperture to deliver the depth of field that I want. Absolutely. At the resolution capability of uh, what I often refer to as the Mark One Mod Zero eyeball, this is perfectly correct. But we need to understand and accept a reality of optics called diffraction that increases as the aperture gets smaller. Okay, so this is where things start getting even more confusing. Want to delve into that a bit? Sure, and I can understand the confusion. It happens because there is this completely false idea propagated by, honestly, the sellers of light modifiers that light wraps around things. Light, being both a particle and a wave, moves in a straight line. It does not wrap, and it doesn't change direction unless it is reflected or pulled. And that pulling requires the presence of a giant mass exerting intense gravity on that light ray. And when I say a giant mass, I'm talking something the size and mass of a star. Something that we encounter in astronomical photography, like gets bent by the force of gravity. But for us, light moves in a straight line unless it strikes something that causes it to bend, like a change in media going from air to water. It's a good example of that. All right. So for all of us, then, we should assume that unless there is uh, refraction or bending as it hits a different, uh, different medium, Light will travel in a straight line, period. And from practicality perspective, absolutely. Worrying about it otherwise may not make a lot of value. However, when we decrease the size of the aperture to a very small one, we let the light that can hit that aperture pass through without problems. But if the light ray strikes the edge of the aperture... It will have its direction altered, not by gravity, but by those optical realities of reflection and or refraction. Consequently, adjacent light rays once being interfered with, or or, pardon me, with one being interfered with, the other not being interfered with, are going to strike the sensor close together, but not in the same place because reflecting the actual light reflected from the subject. We're talking about very small distances here. And this means that without understanding this, there's a lot of nonsense about the impact of diffraction out in the world. Nonetheless, the light rays from the same subject point hit in slightly different positions due to diffraction created at the aperture. And this creates a subtle softness in the sensor data capture. Well... That sounds bad, but really, how much of an issue is it really? So really good lenses will use optical corrections, additional glass, spherical elements, uh, special coatings to try to optimize, to correct for diffraction. And the common result is that on most lenses, 
the greatest sharpness that we will get out of a lens is delivered about two stops up from the smallest aperture. So if the lens goes as small as f22, as an example, in that case we should expect that the greatest sharpness, least diffraction, is going to occur at about f11. Well, you constantly add a caveat about whether we can see these effects. Can we then see the effects of diffraction? Oh yes, it's very possible, particularly when a single subject takes up a large part of the sensor pixel space. You mean like microphotography? That's a very good example. Although remember, diffraction is happening whether you see it with the eye or not. And sadly, processing software, post-processing software, like sharpening and noise reduction, can exacerbate the negative effects of diffraction. Right, so I guess the take-home message from that is that the sharpening software that we use, but because the light rays have actually focused at different points in the image, they, they're supposed to sharpen, but they may not actually improve the situation. Okay, so avoiding diffraction is easy by just opening up, say, two stops. That was the correction for the misinformation that the best results are always obtained with the smallest aperture. Yeah, precisely. However, while the best sharpness is not ever obtained at the smallest aperture, there is an effect when you choose to open up those two stops. Because now that's going to have an impact on your total depth of field. In our first example, you had less than one thirty-second of an inch of depth of field at f22. And when we step back to two feet, we had a total depth of field of one and one sixteenth inches at f22. But now we're worried about diffraction because it is a macro shot. And we, instead of f22, use f11. This means that our total depth of field has dropped to 17 30 seconds of an inch, less than half of what we had at f22. Oh boy. Okay. So, second take-home message then is that by adjusting for diffraction, I may in fact lose the depth of field which I tried so hard to get in the first place. And I may have to try and uh, rely on something else, like maybe focus stacking the image to get the depth of field back and get the sharpness back. Well, precisely. And now stacking is complex because you're talking about making in images at intervals, in this example, of about 830 seconds of an inch or half of the or one quarter inch if we translate that which is about half of the total available depth of field yikes so that means it's virtually impossible to do well manually and that means the requirement for a very precise focus rail on a very solid base and as you are in very close remember that the focal length is also changing as you move closer and then further away from your subject Focus stacking is powerful, but it's not the panacea that many folks think that it is. Now, I am aware of photographers who do the bob and shoot methodology, 
and basically do hundreds of shots as they're bobbing back and forth without altering their focus point. And then they'll use stacking software or, in the case of the complex image, manually masking every single frame. Yikes. Which is an enormous amount of work and, you know, you might want to do it and you might not want to do it. So you've got to take that into consideration when you are trying to get max depth of field and minimal diffraction. Well, I'm going to say I'm glad we covered that. I'm also going to say I think. So, I, I, I don't know. I may need to go sit down with a beverage of some variety and ponder these things. Well, like they used to say on those after-school specials, knowing is half the battle. But they've constantly left out that using the knowing is where the real opportunity lies. Well, uh, yes, but from what we, we have just talked about, A, it's not as straightforward as it seems. Uh, some effort is going to have to be put into it. And I guess most people will have to decide for themselves how much is acceptable and how much is not. Bang on. Thanks for listening to the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast. Please subscribe to be notified of new episodes and also subscribe to the articles so you get notification of those when they post. If you shop at BNH Photo Video, please use the link on the main page. It pays a small commission and costs you nothing extra. If you found an article or a podcast of particular value, there's a link called Buy Me a Coffee, and you can make a small donation that helps us keep things going around here. For the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast, I am Ross. And I am Gordon. And we bid you peace. <laughs>